Foundation podcast. My name is Simone Scott and I'm going to be sharing some South African stories of hope with you. My goal is to give you more information about the great things that people out there are doing to improve our country. Today I want to focus on quite a different subject. Well, I think it's different anyway. It's the concept of holidays for the underprivileged, the Mercury Hebedean Children's Home. I first encountered this home through their fundraising efforts. As their name suggests, they are backed by the Mercury newspaper, a well-known paper in KZN that is produced by independent media. Obviously, this newspaper holds some weight, and they also have the opportunity to promote their cause because of that weight that they hold in society. For example, they can give donors exposure if they choose to take part in fundraising events or to support the home in any way. Also, the Mercury has been around for many, many years, so it just adds that extra weight of reputation and being known by the community. I heard about them because of the popular race day they hold annually at Hollywood Bet's Gravel Racecourse in Durban. I've heard different opinions on this home. Some people seem to think it's a wonderful idea that those who would never get the chance to go on a holiday get to go thanks to, to this home, while others seem to think it's over the top and that underprivileged people must have more urgent needs than holidays. This is the question I used when I first started chatting to Molehe Molosiua, the manager of the home. Like most people I deal with, he wanted some background on why I'm doing this. So we had a quick phone call and after a few minutes he agreed to meet with me. I arrived at the home on a beautiful Saturday to a warm welcome from Malia and his young son. Um, this friendly little guy was sitting on his dad's hip and he was just smiling at me from the start when we first met. Molay was hoping that I'd be able to chat with Sherlock Sutole, who is a youth worker who organizes and runs a lot of their programs, but unfortunately he had a prearranged meeting. So we just got the chance to briefly say hi before Sherlock had to go off to his other meeting that he'd already organized earlier. Molay admitted his reluctance um, about being interviewed, saying to me that he's not a really big fan of interviews, but because he'd agreed to speak with me, he said, let's sit down and, and chat. Before long, he warmed to his subject, though, and he was telling me more about how the home was started and how it's run today. And I was quite surprised to learn, as the conversation developed, that he was actually from Bloemfontein and found myself wondering what brought him to the small coastal town. When the previous manager, uh, because we've had two managers who actually left, um, but the previous one, after she left, and I was like, you know what, I mean, I'm staying at the flats in Durban, I mean, that's not my life. I mean, why not come to the Mercury? I know a whole lot about CSI, I've been, with, I've been under CSI for quite some time now, so it's not something that's new that I'm going, it's not something challenging that I'm going to come across. I was like, no, let me just bring my family here and see what I can do. And then, yeah, I've been here since last year. So Mole and his young family, his wife, his toddler and his baby, moved to the home in October 2018. Um, he actually chooses to be on site in the place that he manages instead of trying to run it remotely from Durban. As we talk, I realize that he isn't one of those people who always dreamed about working in the nonprofit sector. But what comes across to me pretty much right away is how much he loves his work. Funny part, I did accounting and taxation. That's the funny part. And, I, and to tell you the honest truth, I never thought in my entire life that I would work for an NGO company. And I always wanted to be an accountant, a uh, chartered accountant. But once I started working for a CSI department, I fell in love with it so much 
that I said, you know what, I'm okay with what I am. Because now you must understand, like South Africa thinks that when you're working for an NGO, you know, you, you basically, uh, how can I put it? Like most people prefer corporate companies. But I'll tell you one thing now. NGOs, as far as the policies and procedures are concerned, are exactly as a corporate company. Exactly. Because me now, you might say I'm a manager. That's just the status. I do maintenance here. You know, I do the driving around. I help. I do, I mean, I do HR. I do almost everything. But I did accounting. That's so special about it. I love that. And I'm not going to change. I don't see myself working for any other corporate company except an NGO. Because I, I believe that the services that I offer is also helping, you know, because that's my philosophy, you know, a helping hand is a giving hand. I believe in that and I'll, I'll pass away with that. And that's, um, that's something that I'm going to tell even my children to take into consideration whatever that they do in life. Help and you'll see the fruits come back to you. You'll smile, I'm telling you. Even if you can give your last 10 rand to a person, trust me, when you get 100 rand, you'll be shocked how you get that 100 rand. When I first asked him how the home started, he couldn't give me a completely factual and recorded history. But what he knows, he learned through people talking about the place and he kind of overheard conversations. But still, it's quite an interesting story. To tell you the honest truth, uh, I won't say it's facts, right? But, you know, just from hearing when people are talking, from what I'm hearing, this used to be like... Um, not a holiday home as such, but it used to be a home of, you know, like where wives will lose their husbands, you know, like through the apartheid era, where wives will lose their husbands, you know, working for the government at that time and so forth and so forth. And then they will bring them here together with their families. That's how it all started about, from what I'm hearing, right? But as far as it being a holiday home for the children, it could have been, I don't know, it could have been something that was invented by independent newspapers. But you know what, I mean, since we have a space that we, you know, we're using um, that could be suitable for the children, I mean, if you look at the environment outside, you can see itself, it was for the children. So they thought, you know what, why don't you just turn this into, into a holiday home, you know, for the disadvantaged and so forth. And I think that's how it came about. Like I said, I don't have the, you know, the, 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 the actual factual history of what it started about, but from what I'm hearing, that's how it used to be. And the space is definitely geared for kids. In the big garden with the sea view, there's a colorful jungle gym and a huge pool with a big water slide. And I can just imagine what it must be like to come into this space as a child, how exciting that must be. What I can't imagine is coming into this space as a child who has never even thought that I'd be able to go on a holiday ever in my life. As a visitor, I can definitely see the merit of this. But I, I did wonder how it all actually works practically. It turns out that they run both paying camps to help keep the doors open and free camps to those who could not have experienced it otherwise. What we do is, remember it's an NGO, and uh, it's, not, it's not something that, you know, it has to be a profit-making company, it's not a corporate. So we basically just, you know, depending on corporates to donate to keep the place sustainable. So what we had to do is, um, like I've said, I mean, I've, I've found it being what it has been all the time. 
what they had to do, they had to do what they call camps, right? So within these camps, um, you have to have paying camps where you know you can bring a group of your family, whether it's a school or a church or whatever the case may be, who would come and, and you know spend some time with, with with as a group, and then they'll have to pay the mercury. You know what I mean? So, but what we do is we actually have what we call free camps that we do have, like it's four of them on an annual basis, where now we actually go around and search for, be it a crash, be it an organization, where, you know, you can see, you know, their financial statuses that they cannot be able to afford, but you can see that, you know, if, you know, like if they were to bring you know, take the children out for a holiday could be something of interesting that the children would enjoy. So the free camps are actually there. That's what, you know, that's what the Mercury is known for. It's known for, you know, sponsoring camps to disadvantaged children, you know, to just to come. I mean, we live in South Africa, man, and you know, there are children who have never even seen the breeze, sea breeze. Um, at the end of the day, like I always like, even if when we have different camps, like I always, like I said to you, we have paying camps. You know, like you'll have churches, you'll have you know adults, adults who are actually coming here, you know, to have their holidays. But I always tell them, you know what? At the end of the day, you must always remember, you cannot tear this place down because we just we just giving you um, more like a favor type of. Even though you're paying, but you can say it's a favor type of because once you destroy the place, you must understand that you're destroying you know, um, uh, an opportunity of someone else's child who could have came here to come and enjoy the place. You understand what I mean? So that's exactly what we do. I mean, uh, the, the paying camps is just a matter of trying to sustain the place because it's, it's very expensive to do that. It's totally understandable that the home has to find a way to sustain itself just because of its sheer size and its proximity to the ocean. I can't imagine how much time and money it must take to keep something like this running efficiently. It, it can house 130 people because we have two dormitories, uh, which uh, you know house about like 76 girls, and then we have the boys' dormitory, which is outside, and it, it can accommodate about like 60 something, um, you know, children. And then obviously, I mean, we also have like, you know, separate rooms where the teachers and so forth can be able to stay, not being part of, of the children. So it's, it's a really huge, 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 huge building. Like I never knew about how it feels like to stay near the sea. And uh, if you go in to buy something that is not galvanized, you must understand that within four or five years time, it will be rusted. You know what I mean? So um, I've realized that it's quite hard to actually stay right next to to the sea because at almost not on a daily basis, but continuously, you know, there's certain things that has to be changed all the time. Not because people are breaking them or whatever the case may be, but because of nature, because of the sea. The sea is very bad. If, if, if you are familiar with the sea and you know people who are staying next to the sea, they'll tell you that, you know, as much as the sea is nice, you can see the view and everything, but no one wishes to live next to the sea. When I ask Molière how a camp functions, he describes the different activities on offer. All of it's clearly geared to helping the children's development while also allowing them to have fun. 
must remember once the child enters the premises, he's the VIP or she's the VIP. You're no longer the VIP. You understand that? So that's exactly what we, 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 we try to do. So they can bring their own caregivers. However, we still do have our own caregivers who are taking care of the children. Right? If they want to play part in terms of the activities that we do offer, we don't have a problem with that. They can do that, which is one of the things that I changed when I first came here. What I do is I normally send, you know, whether it be an organization or a school, I normally send them a brochure to say, you know, choose whatever activities or the program that you want us, you know, to do, you know, when the children are coming on the premises, which is good. Prefer, I prefer someone who actually deals with the children on a daily basis to choose what the children would actually enjoy rather than us. Who will be the, the first time that you meet the children to actually have them and then choose the program for them? I, I, something that when I first came here, I didn't think it made sense, so I changed that. Like, for example, you'll have your, your adventure camp, right? And then under the adventure camp, you have your treasure hunt, your blue flag games, your morning beach walks, your prison break, you know, your night or morning hike, adventure race, your obstacle courses. You know what I mean? And then you'll have your leadership camp, which is, you know, uh, the tallest tower, you know, the concentration, you know, all abroad, your minefield or your teamwork. And the one that I like most is the teamwork. And I'll tell you why. Because you find that, you know, um, most of the children who are coming here, you know, they're coming here with the mentality or the perception that I can do this by myself, you know. I don't need my friends to do this and this and this. So we're trying to change that mentality that, you know, you know, a helping hand is a giving hand. As much as you can do this, you know, you can climb a wall, but obviously you're going to need your friend to help you, push you up for you to be able to climb that when I ask about feedback, he shares some stories of children who made contact after the camp is over. There's a group that actually came here and then, you know, like, they got like a letter, like they wrote a letter on how, you know, um, how they will never forget their home, how it has impacted their lives, on how when they go back home, you know, they'll go back with a different mindset or a different mentality. Sometimes you do get calls from parents, you know, um, but like a, a child will phone, maybe will call and say, you know, can I please speak to so and so and so who happens to be the educator at that time who was responsible for him or her, you know, just to say, you know, I miss you, you know, I can't wait to come back and so forth and so forth. What I love about talking with Mulehe is hearing how they approach working with the children. If a child says, you know, I would like for us to take another trip back to the Hebrew home, that's all I care about. And I always, like I always said, I always tell the adults that, I said, as much as, you know, you are here, but you should understand, the child is my first priority. Despite this child-centered attitude, there are obviously a few challenges when it comes to hosting 130 children in one space. It's, it's a chaotic place, um, and we have to understand that to deal with 130 children who are excited also. Can you imagine that? Imagine if, 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 if three children of your family members or your children can give you a headache. Now, can you imagine 130 children, how you deal with them? That's what I'm saying. It, it always comes to, you know, once they step out of the bus, the first thing is to make them understand that this is the person that you're going to listen to and this is the rules that you're going to follow. Uh, you're not doing it as a boot camp as such. 
you know, but because once you once once the children are once the children steps out of the bus and you want to, you know, act like it's a boot camp, then you're giving them a scare. Then they're asking them, but are we here to enjoy ourselves or what? You know what I mean? So most of the I mean most of the most of the children now, um, like we live in a in a very much technological world. Most of the children have cell phones. So we always ensure that we take all their cell phones away from them. So no one is allowed to use a cell phone. Because once you use a cell phone, then it's no longer a camp. What did you come here for? You know what I mean? So we always try to ensure that you know we do that. And then um, even, even, even um, simple things, man, like we, I mean, how can I put it? We, 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 we when you go on a camp, you must understand that we're coming from two different backgrounds. There's one who, as much as they don't afford, but they cannot be compared to someone who cannot completely afford. You understand? So it's very hard to ensure that you take these two people, when you put them together, you like, look, man, irrespective of your materialistic things, but you are the same. So once you achieve that, it's quite easy for a child to respect one another. But if you cannot, once you, because like once you cannot achieve that, you must understand it's going to be difficult. If you're going to put your iPhone here, and another another child maybe puts a Nokia thirty three ten, that child will always feel superior that you know this person has more than. But once you confiscate both their phones and like, okay, now you now don't have anything now. Now what? It will be like, ah, but you're still the same as me. I didn't, you know what I mean? You know, I only saw you as that particular person because you have this and this and this. But now we can be able to relate and we can be able to talk and we can be able to do this. Because that's the most important thing. Once, once you get children to talk you know, and, and share their, you know, their lifestyles and everything, then they can become so nice and becomes enjoyable. Eventually, I asked him the big question that motivated me to get in touch. Why holidays for the underprivileged? Why not just satisfy their more basic needs like putting food on their tables? So basically, what I've learned about exactly in our country is we believe in this thing of, you know, um, going out and staying in the streets and giving people food. But to, people are acting as if tomorrow never comes. I mean, you can't tell me you, you'll be full with four slices of bread for the rest of your life. That's impossible. You know what I mean? So we are not here to offer food. Food is just part of eating like any, any other human being. You have your breakfast, you have your lunch, you have your supper. That's part of your, your eating habit. But during that process... There's also teachings that are happening in between. So, for example, I might give you food. I don't know if I'm making sense. I might give you food now, right? And then you go your way and I go my way. There's nothing that you learn from me. Am I right or wrong? But once you come for a holiday home or for a holiday camp and I'm offering you breakfast and lunch, but in that between, before, maybe let's say, for example, I offered you breakfast this like what four or five hours before lunch in that four or five hours i can teach you a whole lot more so people must understand is ngos they should stop this thing of making this thing all about food it can never be about food food is part of a person's eating habit 
That's what I'm saying. If I give you four slices of bread now, what about tomorrow? There's kids out there who don't know how to be kids. Right? You travel, maybe walk, maybe what, three kilometers to school, come back and still be able to cook and this and this and this and this and this and this. And then you'll find kids who are bottling all these feelings up and they end up having what? Anger. Because they cannot be able to like, you know, take that out and say, you know what? This and this and this and this is, bother, is bothering me. But once you have that child to visit the hidden home, the mere objective, well, is to give them a holiday home. But at the end of the day, also teach them the importance of life and giving back. So that when they go home, they'll understand, as much as I'm traveling this three, two kilometers every day to school, but my objective in life is to become something else. That's exactly what you do. Like I said, once you start mentioning food, I can go a day without eating. Doesn't matter. The whole point here is to ensure that you change, like you change a child's perspective on how they think so that it can make them a better person in life tomorrow. That's the only thing that I care about. And that's exactly what I do all the time. So like, most people are saying, you know, like, uh, but isn't there any other good things that can be able, that can be done, like eating and so forth? Yes, we do provide them food. But like I've said, once you have had that four slices of bread, then tomorrow you're hungry again. Because basically what you're doing, it's like, it's like giving a person five rand at the robot. You're spoiling that person. But once you say to him, okay, please come and wash my car, I'll give you a five rand. He understands now, okay, which means you have to work for you to be able to get this. You understand? So that's exactly what we do to change that mentality of a child, like an abusive child, to show the child that, you know what, as much as, you know, you have bottled all these things up, but you can be able to talk and you can be able to get help. Because there's children out there who are getting abused, like, horribly. I've seen sessions with children where you'll find a, a, a child like weeping with tears. And then when you ask them, they'll be like, this is actually my first time talking about this. And you get a shock. So you have maybe like what, a 12-year-old sitting with that up until when? 18, by the time they're 15, 16, it's drugs. After drugs is what? It's robbery, it's hijacking, it's this. It leads them straight to crime. So why don't you stop that? Because once they start opening up and talking about that, you can be able to handle that and solve it. You can be able to say, caregiver, you know, Molehe has just, you know, confided in me and said this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And this is what I think you can be able to do to help that particular child. Because we, we cannot blame teachers at the end of the day. Sometimes they cannot actually have all the children's problem all at once. These children are going to say, I'm not going to talk to her. She's this and this. But once you start becoming friendly to a child, they can be able to open up and confide in you. That's exactly what you do. It's to ensure that when you leave the home and you go back home, you go back home with a clean heart. I ask Molay what we as the public can do to support him. He answers by involving me in the conversation. So you will hear my quieter voice agreeing with him as he speaks about how people should be going about donating and showing their support. My phone actually even gets involved in this conversation. You just have to, you know, just call us and, you know, say, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be a financial, you know, it doesn't have to be a monetary value. It can be whatever. It can be clothes, for example. It can be, it can be uh, juvets, it can be, it can be blankets, it can be, 
you know, there's so many things that you can be able to give. Because, like I've said, children who are coming here, remember, these all different types of backgrounds. You find children who are coming here, they're coming here with only one pair of flip-flops. But imagine if someone were to donate flip-flops, like a whole bunch of flip-flops, and they'd be like, yo, here's two pairs. You know what I mean? Or here's a T-shirt, here's something. At least when they leave, like one thing, there's only one, one, it's something that you might see it has been useless, but the other person can cherish it for the rest of their life. So I always tell people, it's not all about monetary donation. It can be whatever donation, be it clothes, be it food. If it's, I mean, if it's money, then it's a bonus. Because it can do a whole lot of things, you know what I mean? But any other thing, we accept everything. Be it books, anything that you see that you know it's something like that you like i want to i want to emphasize on this it, it has to be something that you see can be useful to a child you have people who are actually cleaning out their storerooms and saying they donate you I, I don't i don't appreciate that i don't like that just because your storeroom is dirty doesn't mean now we the dumpster now you can come and dump everything all by our side just be, and then we are an ngo we have to accept it i, I can't i, I don't know you know Take something that you know for a fact that you know it's quite hard for you to let go of. Then that other person will appreciate it. I was saying to you now, I was saying I cannot swim in a pool. I cannot take a child to go and swim in a pool that I know for a fact that I won't go. Or make a child eat the food that I know for a fact I'm not going to eat. The same goes for donation. Do that also. Can't give a person a t-shirt that you know for a fact you're not going to wear. Just because you want to get rid of it. It should be something that, okay, fine, I can... I can wear it, but I don't like it. It doesn't fit my style. Then you can give it. Not like this trash. You're just putting it in the, putting it in the garage. Once it has filled up a black bag of clothes, we're like, ah, the hibidin home is there. The I don't like that. Because basically you're treating children like trash. Am I right? Tell me if I'm wrong. You are allowed to say it as much as you do no, in the postcard. Right. No, you're right. Exactly. Give of your best so that people can also get... And, and cherish it also. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because now, like most of, that's what most of the individuals are doing, and it's very wrong. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of people will think that you don't appreciate, you know, like I've taken all my time to come here, you know, to come and give out donation. But in his or her mind, they know for a fact they were cleaning out their storeroom to come and dump it here. Now, imagine if I were to give a child that something that you were dumping, how would that child actually look at you? Because remember, a child has a memory too. Because there's children, I mean, you have been a child before. There's some that, there's sometimes a person can give you something. Even though you need it, you'll be like, nah, no, you know what? Nah, I'm okay, thank you. But you know, but for a fact, you need it. It's just, it's a way that you were giving it to him or her that made her or him actually say those words. But if you give something, if you give, give someone, you know what, you know what, I just bought myself a new cell phone. Man. I don't need, I don't think I'll need this cell phone. I'll be actually be, um, you know, it will be quite, what do you, what, greedy of me. You know, to, that, at least, a person will actually cherish that because they understand which, you can still use the cell phone, but you have another cell phone. Then, unlike when I'm selling all cracked and all stuff, you know, all buttons, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like this phone of yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you're like, nah, I don't need this phone anymore. No. Then it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. You know, that's that's my philosophy. That's why I love this home so much. And I ended up being so attached to it because I know for a fact that whatever that I'm doing, I'm actually giving back. And I don't think even if I were to resign or retire, first thing that I'll do is open up an NGO because I see, I can see what an NGO NGO can actually do to change people's lives. And that's that's just me and the Mercury Children's Holiday Home Association. <laughs> <laughs> Before I leave, he gives me a tour of the facilities, the play area, the dining area, the dorms. He even introduces me to his wife and their new little baby. As we talk, I learn something quite surprising. It turns out that needy people actually approach the home for sponsorship. I mean, it's weird. Other NPOs are approaching this NPO for help or NGO. Molehe believes that this is because of the home's association with the Mercury. They're asking us for sponsorship. Because remember, people, they only see the word mercury. And then they have the perception that, oh, isolezwe. Because now us as African people, the only thing is isolezwe, isolezwe, isolezwe this, isolezwe that. I've helped maybe, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, more than five people have come here to ask for sponsorship, but I've actually managed to sit them down and ed educate them about on how they can be able, like you find, because people think that once you are registered as an NPO, then that's it, you can be able to get everything. But they don't understand about, you know, most corporate comp companies actually looking, you know, for tax exemption and so forth. And then when you tell them, do you know about 18, they'll be like, what's that, you know? Have you, I mean, do you, have you been to Pretoria and or phone Pretoria and ask more about, you know, um, the tax, like the tax exemption unit, how I can be able to get this document for me to be able to approach corporates. And because there's no corporate that will give you 500,000 rand without actually knowing very well they're not going to benefit from it. I know for a fact. I did accounting, you just asked me now, and I did tax. I am not going to give you 10,000 rand knowing for a fact that there isn't going to be any benefit that I'm going, I'm going to get out of it. And most of the people that are donating, they always ask for Section 18A. Understandably so. Because they want to reduce their tax. And for you to do that is to apply for a Section 18A. One thing I'm learning as I go about doing my interviews is that many people have a need, but that they can struggle to attract sponsors from the world out there especially in the beginning, before they know all the ins and outs of documentation and all the different elements that are required in gaining sponsorship. I was glad to hear, though, that Malia helped others with this when he could. Driving away from this unique seaside home, I was left with quite a bit to think about. Should time away from home really be considered a luxury? I think in my own life, I definitely tend to think of holidays more in that light. But when I think back to my childhood and school days, I remember going on plenty of camps where we were given input into our lives or where youth leaders or workers tried to help us think differently about our futures. So maybe in this case, it actually becomes a much needed time that gives kids the space they need to enjoy themselves, yes, but also to expand their horizons and to examine their feelings about the situations they face on a daily basis. If you'd like to contact the Mercury Hibernian Children's Home, you can send them an email at info at hibhome.org.za. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find us on Facebook at Foundation Podcast or visit our blog for more details about this episode, including the organization's contact details. Thank you. 
Foundation was created by me, Simone Scott, with original music created by Wayne Charles Simpson.